This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. So we've been talking about Solomon and building the temple and looking at 1 Peter chapter 5, looking at Revelation 14, looking at 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Last week I talked some about how First and Second Kings really tells the same stories as First and Second Chronicles, and First and Second Samuel actually tells a lot of those same stories, coming from different perspectives through different mouthpieces and some different details in there. But <clears throat> by and large, they are the same stories, and we are hopefully learning some lessons out of that. And if we're not, then we're wasting time. Y'all can let me know if that's the case. We'll find something else to do on Sundays. But I know I've been learning a lot of lessons. I hope you have. And like I told you before, this would be a good time for you to write stuff down or put stuff in your phone. I think uh, last week I um, gave you some points that you could write down and study on your own. And I'm encouraging you strongly to do that again because this stuff is so relevant to the times we're living in, relevant to our society and the future and what we as kingdom-minded people should expect and not expect and how we should act and react and what kind of mindset we should have in this society that we're living in. And I just got to tell you today straight off the top that, that this is not a game. It's just not a game. I grew up in church, and, and uh, I took a little break for about eight years from church when I graduated from high school. But other than that, I've pretty much been in church my whole life. And it becomes a lifestyle for you when that's the case. You know, it's church. You're part of it. It's regular. It's, and it bec- can become routine. It can become, in some ways, um, you know, sort of ordinary to us. And that's where you get into a risky spot. Because we're living in a time where that just can't be the case. We can't think that we're in some kind of a game here, you know, that um, it's not serious because it's quite serious. As a matter of fact, it's life and death serious. So uh, what we are able to share and to give and to receive in times like this when we come together is vastly important to our spiritual, not only survival, but our ability to thrive and to win and to be kingdom conquerors. <coughs> it's really, really important stuff. If you don't take it seriously and if you feel like you are in some sort of a game, you know, or whatever, and, and you just kind of laugh it off or you're non-participatory, you're just kind of a pew sitter, an observer, a spectator, you're going to get run over. You know, I'm just giving you fair warning. I don't want you to have to look back at some point and say, Matt, that dude was right. You know, you're going to get run over and plowed under because the enemy, what does 1 Peter 5 say, is prowling around looking for someone to devour. And if you are not strong and if you are not properly equipped You will be one that ends up being a victim. You will be devoured by him. Through his schemes, through his tricks, through his lies, 
you will be devoured. You'll be eaten up. So that's a good thing for us young and older to know and to keep in the forefront of our thinking, not as a, uh, a source of fear or anxiety or anything, but just a motivator for us to work out spiritually to become stronger, more fit, ready, <coughs> so that when those attacks come, we know how to fight and we know how to lean on our Father to fight on our behalf. I read this psalm this morning. I thought I would share a piece of it with you. In, in Psalm chapter 9, it says, The Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for what? For judgment. I don't often ask y'all to repeat a word back to me, but will you repeat that word, judgment? I wonder how many of us know what that looks like. I wonder how many of us know what that really means. Judgment. If you've ever been in court um, and sat before a judge and been placed in judgment, then you understand a little bit of it from that part, from, from the legal side of living life uh, here. But what about as it relates to the Lord on his throne establishing judgment? What does that mean? Well, let's think about it a little bit. We'll talk some more through it. It says, he rules the world in righteousness and judges the people with equity. <coughs> he judges the people with equity. <coughs> Sorry. In other words, he judges fairly, right? One of the most common questions from people who don't believe in God or questions or accusations is how can a God who is just and fair allow bad things to happen, right? And it, it's okay to ask that question. If you've ever asked it, it's okay to ask it. But we talked about context last week, and if you understand the context of who God is from before creation all the way past Revelation, then you understand that He is a God that rules, that creates, that judges, but His highest creation is called you and me. Human beings are His highest creation. And when he created human beings, including you and me, he created us with the power to make decisions, the power to choose, the ability to rationalize. I watch my animals sometimes, and I think about the comparisons and contrasts between Animal, other animals and human beings. I'm feeding the pigs. They're not rationalizing anything. They want to get on that grain faster than the other pig gets on that grain and to get more of that grain than the other pigs can get as fast as they can get it, right? They don't care. They don't care what it takes to get at it. 
I've got a pig here eating. Another pig will come behind it, stick his head right up between the pig's hind legs, his hind end right here on top of his head, and eat right there. I don't think he's rationalizing that out because I don't want to eat my dinner that way. How about you? Because we have the ability to rationalize and know that that's not really a good way to eat your dinner. Okay, animals act out of instinct and they act out of training. They don't act because they have the ability to think, to rationalize, and to make decisions. But when God created us, he created us with those abilities. Well, there would be no reason to create people with the ability to reason and to make decisions, to make choices, if he was going to control every decision and every choice that we made. It's kind of counterproductive to what he's trying to do, right? So he makes the, he creates with the ability to rationalize and to make decisions, knowing that the potential is there, that sometimes the decisions that are made will be bad decisions, will be wrong decisions. That's why he has a system that's set up <coughs> to deal with rightful decision-making and wrongful decision-making. That's why you find replete throughout all of Scripture that blessing follows obedience and curses and, and judgment follows disobedience. That's God's system. So any bad that we see in the world is not the result of God implementing bad on the people that he created and claims to love so much and to be just toward. It is a result of the decisions for disobedience that come from the people he created. And then they suffer the consequences. You see, our problem in our society today is that we don't want to take responsibility for our own stupid decisions. We, we don't want to say, I'm to blame. We want to make these decisions, live in patterns of disobedience, and then when the fallout comes, when the result comes, and we start to suffer, then we want to point fingers at God and say, why is he doing this? <laughs> well, he's not doing this. All he's doing is what he ever promised to do. And that is he'll bless you if you obey and he will pronounce judgment on you or at least remove his protection from you if you disobey. It's on us, folks. It's on us. We don't need to question why he's doing what he's doing. We need to question why we're doing what we're doing. Because the reality is, is if we were paying careful attention to the words of God and exercising strict obedience to what we see and hear, we wouldn't be suffering the way we're suffering. We wouldn't be seeing the levels of evil that we're seeing. We wouldn't be suffering the violence that we're suffering. <clears throat> it's on us. Okay, that's my little pre-sermon. <coughs> Five lessons to take away from today. All right, so if you take notes, take them. If you have a photographic memory, lock it in. If you want to put it in your phone, if you choose to leave it here, that's totally up to you. Number one, and we've been talking about Solomon <clears throat> building the temple and what it looked like and all the details around that. Lesson number one is building the temple was not God's idea. 
Building the temple was not God's idea. I told them just to put up the references today, and I'm actually going to read the scriptures to you straight out of the Bible. First Chronicles chapter 28. Building the temple was not God's idea. Starting with verse 2, Then King David rose to his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of, of the Lord and for the footstool of our God and had made preparations to build it. But God said to me, You shall not build a house for my name because you have been a man of war and have shed blood. However, the Lord God of Israel chose me above all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever, for he has chosen Judah to be the ruler. And of the house of Judah, the house of my father, and among the sons of my father, he was pleased with me to make me king over all Israel. And of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. Now he said to me, it is your son Solomon who shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. Moreover, I will establish his kingdom forever, if he is steadfast to observe my commandments and my judgments as it is this day. <coughs> A temple is going to be built. It's going to be built by Solomon, but it was not God's idea to build the temple nor was it Solomon's idea to build the temple. It was David's idea to build the temple. When God makes a plan and God makes a decision and God builds something, whatever he builds is going to last forever. When God established his kingdom in the earth, the kingdom will last forever. Jesus looked at Peter and said, You're the rock, and on the rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In other words, nothing, including hell, can take it down. God's kingdom is established. It's not going anywhere. God's church is established. It's not going anywhere. You say, well, what about the end times with the Antichrist, the persecution of the church, the saints of God raptured away, and however that works? All that fine, all that notwithstanding, the kingdom of God will live on for all of eternity. Why? Because it was God's decision to establish it, and God is the one who built it, and whatever God establishes will never go away. It is always eternal. That's important to know in this instance because David goes to a lot of trouble to make sure that this temple is going to get built. Solomon goes to a lot of trouble, a lot of expense to make sure that it's built, that it's right, that it meets the instructions and the dimensions that are proper for a house of worship to the one true God. 20 years it takes to build it, hundreds of thousands of man hours. Who knows the financial cost of it once it's all said and done? We're talking about walls that are overlaid with pure gold. 
We're talking about a very expensive structure here. We're talking about amenities and implements inside this temple and in the courtyards that are extremely expensive, valuable. It took high-level skilled craftsmen to put all this stuff together. <coughs> kingdoms, other kingdoms, neighbors, and kings, and workforces came in to help get this done. It's a really big deal, but it was not God's idea. I've got to tell you today, had it, was, had it been God's idea, it wouldn't be non-existent right now. As a matter of fact, it only lasted for a very short period of time. Why? Because it was not God's idea and because God's people live in patterns of disobedience and he warned them that when you turn to disobedience, this house will be destroyed. And when God speaks a word, the word always comes to pass. So the people turned to disobedience once again, and his house was destroyed. Building the temple was not God's idea. 2 Chronicles chapter 6. <clears throat> Sometimes I just like to read it off the page. Solomon says in verse 7, Now it was in the heart of my father David to build a temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house, and Solomon successfully accomplished all that came into his heart to make in the house of the Lord and in his own house. What does that mean? was David's idea, was Solomon's plan. This is why it doesn't exist anymore. It's because it was David's idea. It was Solomon's plan. And then in Acts chapter 7, verses 45 and 46, I won't go there and read that, but you know the story of Stephen, who is falsely accused of, of things and taken before the uh, court to be judged because he's a follower of Jesus Christ. He's a, he's a follower of the way. And his response to them, and these are religious leaders that he's talking to, his response to them is to preach a sermon that covers the entire history of the nation of Israel, something they already know, but he is setting them up. And when he gets to the end of the sermon, he says, and David had a plan or had an idea to build a house for God, but it was actually Solomon who built it. Another reinforcement from the New Testament now <clears throat> that it was not God's idea to build the temple. Number two, though, it's very important to understand in light of number one. Hello? God will honor the ideas or plans of his servants if they are pure in motive they bring honor to him, and they advance the kingdom. Okay, so in all those dozen times I said to you on lesson number one that it was not God's idea to build the temple, you never heard me say that it was a bad idea, did you? You heard me say it didn't last because it was not God's idea, but that doesn't mean it was a bad idea. As a matter of fact, it was a good idea. What we need to know here is that God likes good ideas. He's not opposed to good ideas. Again, why would he create 
human beings, give them the capacity to have ideas, and then not give any credence or credit to those ideas. God wants to know what your good ideas are. Do you have any? Have you ever had an idea come through your head of something you think would be a benefit to the kingdom? You ever had a good idea about maybe loving or serving somebody in a way that would bless them? You ever had a good idea about how to make church experiences better? You ever had a good idea about anything that would be positive, that would bring good impact? God loves that. He doesn't have any problem with our ideas. <coughs> he will bless our ideas if, huge word, if they are pure in motive, they bring honor to him, and they advance the kingdom. That's why God allows, not only allows, but supports David's idea to build a temple. Now listen, it's not like God needs a house to live in. That idea would be kind of silly, right? Let's build God a house. He's homeless. He's sleeping out in the woods behind the city of refuge. <coughs> God needs our help. No, that's not the point. A couple of y'all grinned as if you've done that before. <clears throat> God doesn't need what we have to offer. He doesn't need our ideas. But if we have a good idea and the idea is pure in motive, the idea will bring honor to him and the idea will advance the kingdom, he will support that idea. He makes it clear when David first has the idea that this is not really necessary. I don't really have to have this home that you're building for me. I'll be okay without it. You know, I have really the ability to occupy the clouds. <laughs> you know, I, I, can, I can occupy water. I can occupy air. I can be in all places at the same time. I don't really have to have what you're offering. But because I see that you're a man, because David is called a man who is pure in heart, right? A man who made mistakes, who committed sins, but ultimately always comes back, begs God forgiveness, and worships the Lord in spirit and in truth. He sees that he's pure in motive, pure in heart. He sees that this idea is going to bring honor to him because David makes it very clear, the reason I want to build this house is so we have a centralized location for people to come and to worship the one true God, to bring honor to the one true God, to give sacrifice to the one true God. And then God sees that this will advance the kingdom literally at that point. This is going to solidify the kingdom that David is ruling and that Solomon will rule. This is going to establish more than ever before the relationships they have with other people groups. This is going to make them stronger. This is going to make them more proficient in what they're there to do. So God evaluates it and can't see the bad in it. So he blesses it and says, do it. First Chronicles chapter 28. <coughs> Verse 20, And David said to his son Solomon, Be strong and of good courage and do it. Do not fear nor be, be dismayed for the Lord God. My God will be with you. 
He will not leave you or forsake you until you have finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. To me, that sounds like God has put his stamp of approval on the plan, even though it was not his idea. Now, I really like that because every once in a while, I have an idea. You know, I'll say to Tracy sometimes, I have an idea, and I'll share it, and if it's a good one, she'll say, yeah, every blue moon you come up with one. Right? So, but every once in a while it does happen. A good idea comes. Sometimes initially I think it's a good idea. It turns out not to be a good idea, but sometimes it's a good idea that ends up staying a good idea. You take a good idea, you start to build on it, you start to make a plan out of it, you ask for God's approval. If you're coming to Him with a purity in your motive and honor, uh, intention to honor Him and to advance the kingdom, why would He not bless that? There's a lot of great work going on around the world because somebody had a good idea and God blessed it. Second Chronicles chapter 5 So that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. See, you have a good idea. It's pure in motive. It's going to bring honor to God. It's going to advance the kingdom. So God puts a stamp of approval on it. But not, it doesn't stop there. Then what happens is that God fills it up. He fills it up with his spirit. He starts to inhabit it. See, when this temple is finished, they lay the last block, they paint the last whatever. Everything is done. You know what happens next? God moves in. He moves in. The instructions were followed. The plan was implemented. People worked hard a spirit of passion involved in it, a spirit of excellence involved in it, dignity toward the people and toward God himself is involved in it, integrity is involved in it. Solomon is managing it well, and because of all of that, God moves in. That's so cool. It's so cool. You know, I keep battling here, not battling, but just tossing around <clears throat> plans and ideas. It's almost like it's something new every week. It's a pretty big one going on in my head right now. And it's like, I don't want to proceed with any plan that I don't think God's going to put a stamp of approval on. That makes me go too slowly sometimes. I'll be the first one to admit that because sometimes you have to start and get going and get some momentum to find out if God's going to put a stamp of approval on it. And you may be afraid or timid that you're going to get so far in the process and he's going to kick it out and then you look like a, you know, a fool or you've wasted time, you've wasted resources. <coughs> but if these criteria are there, God is going to bless it and he's going to move in. In Second Chronicles chapter 7, one more uh, confirmation. Verses 11 and 12 say, Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house, and Solomon successfully accomplished all that came into his heart 
to make in the house of the Lord and in his own house. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of worship. There you go. God loves his idea. He loves it enough to bless it and to move into it and to live in it. Lesson number three. <coughs> you ever heard the word sustainability? <clears throat> it's a word that in the nonprofit world, when you work with people and you're trying to get them to go from here to here to here in a transformational process to get them to um, a better spot in life where they're self-sufficient, where they're productive members of society, one of the most common words you will hear is the word sustainability. We use it here a good bit. You have somebody that will come in and say, hey, uh, I'm homeless, I'm on the street, I need somewhere to stay, can you put me up in a room? Well, maybe, but what's your plan for sustainability? And when you, look, when you say that to people down in this area, they usually look at you like, well, um, <clears throat> can you tell me what that word means? Right? And what it means is, what's your plan after we put you up in a room for a night or two or three? How are you going to sustain yourself after that? What good does it do somebody to put you up and you to have one night or two nights with shelter over your head if you have no plan after that and you're right back out on the street begging somebody else to put you up for a night or two to get you off the street? Sustainability is huge. And we have many times put somebody up in a room who had no plan for sustainability because, you know, it's good for them to have some shelter, some air conditioning or heat and, and a shower. <coughs> That's all fine. But if their situation is chronic, if it's habitual, if this is how they live, this is lifestyle, then the question of sustainability has to be addressed at some point or you get into poor stewardship. Because wouldn't you agree that it would be bad stewardship of our resources just to pay for rooms for people for a night here and there? You know, and, um, <clears throat> you know, we've had it happen several times that somebody gives you a sad story, you put them up in a room, then the hotel manager calls us the next morning and said, hey, these people you put in here had six other people come in in the middle of the night, and they're smoking this and snorting that, and, and uh, we don't want you to send people down here who are like that. Right? So you get taken advantage of, but you have to use discernment, and sustainability always needs to be considered. Well, the requirement for sustainability is obedience. <coughs> it is in the situations with individuals I'm talking about right here in our town, or in a city of refuge in Atlanta. You know, if, let, let me tell I'll tell you one of the most important lessons I've ever known or ever taught to somebody else. I don't care how old you are. If you are homeless, addicted to some substance, unemployed, begging to survive, the number one thing you have to be willing to do 
is to just do what you're told. As if you're a three-year-old, just do what you're told. This is the obstacle on the top of the list for people who continue to struggle day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, living in the same patterns, is they just won't do what they're told. It sounds like, it sounds arrogant, I'm sure, for me to say, you just need to do what I tell you. But I have said it so many times, and I can tell you right now that the ones who do it are now successful, are now living good lives, are now productive, are now working jobs, are in good relationships with their family, serving God, going to church, and the ones who don't are still in the patterns, or they're dead. I could start naming names for you right now, and it would take me a few minutes to name the names of the dead people who just wouldn't do what they're told. It should be kind of obvious by now, if you're in that situation, that you don't know what to do. Or you don't have the capacity of the power to do it, even if you do know. Or you wouldn't still be there. But you refuse to do what you're told. And so you continue to live a useless and unproductive life, in and out and back and forth and up and down. And always depending on somebody else for your survival. The key to sustainability is obedience. And don't talk about obeying God if you cannot obey spiritual authority that God places in your life. Because that's almost always the way he demonstrates his authority is to send some other human being to tell you what to do. The, re the requirement, absolute, unequivocal, inarguable requirement for sustainability is obedience. I got to move on. I could stay there a while, but Second First Chronicles chapter twenty-eight. And by the way, these verses I'm reading are just little samplings. I could stand up here for hours upon hours and read verses to you that support and confirm and affirm everything I'm saying. It's everywhere. These pages are saturated with these lessons. It's in every book of the Bible. I'm just picking and choosing a few verses to give you as examples. Verse 7, I already read it in one other portion, but it stands by itself here. <coughs> Moreover, I will establish his kingdom forever if... We love to put a period at the end of forever. God's going to do something for me forever. God's going to bless me, period. No, God's going to bless you if. It's going to go on forever if. If you start leaving the if out, you're headed for complete disaster. Because you're confused and disillusioned about how it works. If 
He is steadfast to observe my commandments and my judgments as it is this day. If you pay attention to his words and do what he says, then you will remain steadfast. Then you will live in his blessing. Then you will dwell in his spirit. Then you will have a kingdom mindset. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, As for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked and do according to all I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom as I covenanted with David your father, saying, you shall not, fall, you shall not fail to have a man as a ruler in Israel. But if you turn away... And forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them. Then I will uproot them from my land, which I have given them. And this house, which I have sanctified for my name, I will cast out of my sight. And I will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. <clears throat> and as for this house, which is exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and say, Why? Has the Lord done thus to this land and this house? And then they will answer because they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who brought them out of the land of Egypt and embraced other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, he has brought all this calamity on them. Any questions? Did the temple survive? No. Did the temple last? No. Solomon lived his life, sadly enough, toward the end of his life. He married a bunch of women from different countries, and they convinced him to start worshiping the gods from their countries. What does this scripture say? And this is before it happened. As long as you don't worship gods from other countries. As long as you don't bow before anybody but me. As long as you stay true, as long as you walk in obedience, as long as you know my commandments and do what they say. But if you don't, all this is going to collapse. It will lie in ruins. And it took one generation for it to happen. One. <coughs> Solomon is succeeded by his son Rehoboam. Last week I said Jeroboam. Jeroboam was king of Israel. Rehoboam's the king of Judah that succeeded Solomon. And he didn't do well. And by the time his son took over, the entire kingdom collapses. And they're invaded by a foreign king who tears down the temple and takes all the implements that were designed and placed there for worship to the one true God and moves them into his foreign pagan shrines and uses them in the worship of foreign pagan gods as promised the result of obedience or the requirement for sustainability is obedience <coughs> number four 
the result of obedience is blessing. What, what more do I need to say? What more do I need to say? And it, I, there shouldn't be a shred of doubt in the room. Second Chronicles seven fourteen, one of the most well-known verses in all the Bible, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, I will heal their land. It's a, it's a promise of blessing. It's a promise of blessing that follows obedience because everything he says that we are to do in that verse, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. In other words, don't consider your idea to be better than God's idea. Will humble themselves. In other words, come before him in worship and humility, understanding your role and his role. Humble themselves and do what? And pray consistently live a prayerful life. Sometimes I want to know and sometimes I don't want to know how many believers who attend church would have to honestly say if they were asked that since last Sunday you never opened your mouth and said one word of prayer for the entire week. There'd be people in this room would have to say that's me. Because there always is. <laughs> we want to talk about loving God. We want to talk about living in His kingdom. We want to talk about doing good work. Never open our mouths and pray. <coughs> if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, so if we choose not to pray, if we choose not to have a prayerful life, if we choose not to have that open line of communication back and forth with Him at all times, then what do we expect? And seek my face. That's an intentionality. That's more than just maybe going into a closet and spending an hour really in, intensely and fervently praying and seeking God. It, it is that, but it's also like everywhere we are at all times that we're really seeking the heart of God about what's going on with us. Seeking the heart of God for our families. Seeking the heart of God for our country. Seeking the heart of God for the poor. Seeking the heart of God for the lost. Seeking the heart of God for the world. Seeking the heart of God for the sick. Just really living a lifestyle that is characterized by seeking and searching out the heart of God all the time. And seek my face and then do what? And turn from their wicked ways. My Lord, how we want God to bless us, but we don't want to turn away from our wickedness. Or we don't want to turn away from the wicked ways of the world that we're so dependent on. But the result is obedience if we choose, or the result is blessing if we choose obedience. <clears throat> and finally, number five, and I'm only going to give you this point to set you up for week after next when I will dive into this one point more deeply. The result of disobedience is either curses or God withdraws his protection from you. So we're told that the devil prowls around seeking someone to devour. You know, if you're okay with knowing that and deciding to face that out from under the protection of God... 
more power to you. More power to you. Uh, I wouldn't want to be you. Because his protection is one of the most important benefits we have that comes out of our relationship with him. You are aware that the overwhelming majority of the time that God protects you from something, you don't even know it's happened. You don't, you don't even know it's happened. If you're living as an obedient child of God sitting in this room today, you have no idea, and I have no idea, what God has saved us from. If, if we were able to see it played out on a big screen, it would knock us to our backs. We would be astonished and overcome by how His protection <clears throat> has kept us away from disaster. I've seen, I've experienced some things that I believe with all my heart were the protective hand of God, and I knew it. <coughs> and I think some of them happened because <clears throat> of my purpose in life. He protected me because of what my life was going to consist of and the service I was supposed to do in His kingdom. When I was in college, I went home for the summer one time in Virginia Beach area where my parents were living and got a job and so my job required a lot of driving around and one time I was pulling out of a busy convenience store or pulling out of, of a convenience store parking lot onto a very busy street four lanes and I'm trying to go left so I've got to go across these two with traffic coming this way and into those two with traffic going that way and it's just long lines of cars whizzing by. Well, finally they came to a stop, and they left me some space to go through. You know how people do. So I go through here. I can't quite see what's coming, um, what's coming that way. But I thought I saw, there's a UPS truck here. I thought I saw him wave me to go ahead as if nothing's coming. I'm sorry, it wasn't a UPS truck. It was just a regular, regular car. There's a UPS truck coming this way because when I pulled out, I saw out of the, my peripheral the front end of a UPS truck right on me, broadside right on me. And the next thing I saw was the tail end of the UPS truck going that way. And my whole car went like that. And it freaked me out. I had to go somewhere and park for a few minutes. It freaked me out because I'm telling you, believe it or not, I don't care. <clears throat> I felt like the UPS truck went right through me. I don't, I don't see, and never have I been able to see any way that that truck could have avoided me because I was in, fully in the lane, and he's in that lane coming this way, and he's still in that lane when I see him going that, that way. I think God protected me. I think it was a miracle of protection. There's some like that we know about. Man, to think about the ones we don't know about. <coughs> We sometimes say, you know, Tracy and I were traveling down to or West Bumble somewhere way down in South Georgia for Everly to be in a beauty pageant yesterday, which I don't suggest, but she's my grandbaby, so I'm going to drive three hours and suffer through watching everybody but her. I enjoyed watching her, but the 85 other girls, 
uh, it almost put me in the madhouse. But we were running a little bit behind because as we're leaving the house, you know, we see the horses heaving. We got to go back and get medicine. We got blah, you know. And so we're running behind. And then we get down 30 minutes from where we're going and traffic stopped because some dude with a watermelon trailer full of watermelons has caught on fire and he's burning up watermelons all over South Georgia. <coughs> I have a new perspective on stuff like that. It's easy to get frustrated. You're like, they're going to make us late and whatever. But my perspective now is, well, first of all, I'm glad I'm not the watermelon guy, you know, whose truck burn up, trailer burn up, and probably lost $5,000 worth of watermelons. And secondly, maybe the Lord protected us from something on down the road by us having to stop here for 25 minutes. You know, we don't know what he's protecting us from. I guarantee you what I do know is I don't want him to remove his protection from me. I do not want to live this life. I do not want to face what's going on without his protection. His protection is guaranteed if I live my life in obedience. <clears throat> his protection can be withdrawn if I choose disobedience. Because there's one of two things God will do if we live in patterns of disobedience. He will pronounce curses on people or he will simply withdraw his protection. Now, that's a great setup because there's a lot of interesting stuff to consider there that we're going to talk about later. <coughs> but if you want to, give that some thought. Let your spiritual imagination go to work on it and dig around in the Scripture. You'll find, I guarantee, that what I'm telling you is the truth because it always happens. And you'll also probably come in this room next time with some ideas of your own. And God loves our good ideas. Father, thank you for this time together. I've learned something. I hope others have as well that we can take with us that will make us stronger, better equipped, more protected, more powerful, more forgiven than we've ever been. So I pray that you would seal your word. All I've done really is just read your words. I pray you'd seal them to our hearts. Grow us up in you a little bit more. We pray that you'd give us a great week, that your protection would be with us, and that you'd make provision for our needs, that you would establish your peace in our hearts one more time, that you would empower us to do and be all you created us to do and be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.